kind of doing a mix. We've been jumping around here because it's about the Passover. Well, what you have going on here in Exodus chapter 12 is all these feasts being created. The Passover was such an important start that if you remember correctly from our study of a couple weeks ago, God says, I'm going to restart the whole calendar with this Passover. This is your beginning of months. So the Passover is that representation of Jesus, and we've been talking about that the last two weeks. Keep your hand here in Exodus 12, 13. Please go with me to 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5. If you weren't with us, I encourage you to grab the last two lessons online or listen to the CDs there to really understand the importance of Jesus being the Passover. All the symbolism of what that means and represents. One of my favorite studies that we ever did out here was we went through all the different sacrifices of the sin offering, burn offering, etc. And we talked about how each one of those offerings is really a picture of Jesus. Jesus said, the whole book is written about me. If you go back and you read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you don't read it through the eyes of Jesus, it comes across very boring, just to be honest. But when you really see it from that perspective of Christ, all of a sudden, all these sacrifices are just a picture of Jesus. And isn't that really what it comes down to? I tell you, the longer I do this and the the more I'm up here and out here at church, the more I realize it, it does not matter about me. It does not matter about Harvest Fellowship. It just matters about Jesus. Because so often we get in these traps of where we think about us and we talk about us and then we promote us or we promote a church. It's not about a church. It's about Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, the whole book is written about me. Just always remember that. That's what it's all about. So with that being said, Jesus the Passover, you know these passages, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. Your glorying is not good. Excuse me, verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Verse 7 is your key. Christ is the Passover. That's what we've established. Now, Keep your hand here in 1 Corinthians, because we're going to come back to this and make reference. But now jump back to Exodus 12. So Christ is the Passover. Well, if you're looking at this from a Jewish feast perspective, you have the Passover that begins on the 14th of the month. And then you go right into something called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then you go into something called the Feast of First Fruits. So the Passover represents Jesus' sacrifice. We just read that, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Then it said the unleavened bread. Well, what's unleavened bread? Let's take a look at this. Exodus 12. Let's go ahead and start here in verse uh, 15. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your house. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation, some of your translations, assembly, festival. And on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance." 
And the first month on the fourteenth day of that month at evening you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at the evening. For seven days no leaven shall be found in your house. So it's whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is a stranger or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened. And all your dwellings you shall eat unleavened bread. See, if we just read that, okay, Lord, what are you trying to tell us? That's why it's so important to have the First Corinthians 5 passage. See, when you get to 1 Corinthians 5, you see what Paul is teaching us. Paul is teaching us that leaven represents sin. So therefore, when you see the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it's a picture of getting all the sin out of your life. So follow this. This works out so perfectly. The Passover represents Jesus' sacrifice. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Jesus is the Passover. Well, so now you've accepted Christ as your Savior. What do you do now? You can't just keep living the same life. Things change. Things need to change. So that's why Passover goes right into unleavened bread. Because Passover represents Christ's death on the cross for our sins. Unleavened bread represents, if you're a note taker, moral purity. Now that I'm saved in Jesus, I want my life to be different. I want to cast out the leaven. I want to cast out the sin in my life. But that can only happen, only happen... When you first understand the Passover. How many times have you witnessed to somebody or shared Christ with somebody and you want them to change? The the direction of their life is not godly. The direction of their life is not where they should be. So we're trying to make them moral. We're trying to make them pure. They have to first understand that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. They have to first understand the Passover aspect of Jesus before we can cast out the sin. I've seen many people attempt to have moral purity, if you will. They have attempted to do the unleavened bread thing, get rid of the leaven of sin. But unless you've been touched by Jesus, it doesn't do any good. It will maybe work for a few days, it maybe work for a few weeks, maybe work for a season of your life. But unless you have been touched by Christ, you cannot fully understand what it means to get the leaven out of your life. Passover has to come first. That represents Jesus' death on the cross. The next is unleavened bread, getting rid of leaven. Leaven represents sin, moral purity. And then you can really start to live the life that God has called you to live. Have you ever tried to live a moral life on your own? It actually works for a little bit. One of my favorite examples of this from history is Benjamin Franklin. Have you ever remember the story as a kid? Benjamin Franklin had the different, uh, he didn't call them sins. I can't remember what he called them. But he had the different sins in his life that he wanted to work on. So what he would do is he made this list. And he conquered the first one. And he had to go so many days without doing it. So he went so many days without doing it that he would mark it off. And as soon as he was done with that one, he moved on to number two. Well, what he found out was that he would then devote all his attention to number two. Guess what happened? Number one popped back up. Well, then he thought, okay, so we get number two down. Well, now number one needs help. He go back and take care of sin number one. Now number two flared back up. The way I look at sin, if you've ever played the game Whack-A-Mole, do you know what I'm talking about? The little moles pop up. So you knock one down. And the next thing you know, another little stupid mole pops up. So the way the boys and I do it, when we go to Chuck E. Cheese, we all just stand over and hold our hands over the moles. So that way they can't pop up. But I sometimes feel that's the way it is spiritually. You're struggling with this sin, and you knock it down. You feel like you have victory, and then another one just pops back up. See, what they're trying to tell us is, you can't get rid of the sin in your life or the leaven in your life unless you first understand Jesus. 
If you've been with us in our study on Sunday mornings through Romans, you know the path that Paul is taking us on logically. You have to understand Jesus' death on the cross first. Then you can understand how you're dead to sin. And then when you understand you're dead to sin, you can now go live a pure moral life. Remember the point we made a few weeks ago. You cannot change from the outside in. You have to change from the inside out. If you try to change from the outside in, it looks good for a while, and you fool people for a while. But ultimately, if you want long-lasting change in Christ, it has to happen on the inside, where you stop and say, this is not the man or woman I want to be. Jesus, help me. And then it goes to the outside. How often in churches today in this world that we live in, we only focus on the outside. And we wonder why Christians are not real Christians. And we wonder why people don't have the depth in their walk and relationship with Jesus. They have an outside change with no inside change. They never understood the Passover of Jesus to fully understand unleavened bread. Get the leaven out. Get the sin out only after you've experienced what Jesus did for you on the cross. Anybody have any quick questions, comments about this? Okay. Oh, Ryan. That's the key, unless you look at it through the eyes of Jesus. That's why Christ said, the whole of the book is written about me. I, I tell you, I, I, read, um, I read Mark, and it's like, man, I love this. So then I read John, and then I went, and I'm reading Luke. I just want to know more about Jesus. Because when I fully understand who Jesus is, that's, that's my goal, is to be Christ-like. You've heard me say this numerous times before. Anytime someone comes up to me, and they're just getting into the Bible... I always tell them, don't start in Genesis. Can you imagine not really having a depth and understanding of Jesus and reading through Genesis? Okay, so you get through creation, you get through the flood, you get through some of those genealogies. You're doing okay. You get to Exodus. Well, you start getting to this stuff now, boy, your mind just not getting it. So now imagine getting through Exodus and now you're up to Leviticus. And I'm reading about if my neighbor's bull escapes and comes and gores my kid and how much money we're supposed to pay. What in the world? That's why when you read about Christ and you understand who Jesus is and you understand how he is the Passover, now all of a sudden, oh, a lamb without spot, without blemish. I get it. Oh, leaven. Leaven represents sin. Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. I get it now. So unleavened bread, you want me to cast all the sin out of my life. You've got to look at everything through the eyes of Jesus. That changes everything. So Passover, Jesus' sacrifice, unleavened bread, moral purity. Casting those things out of your house. Stay here in Exodus. Jump ahead to chapter 13, please. Build, build on this real quick. Verse 3 of Exodus 3. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. 
On this day you are going out in the month of Abib, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to you, fathers, to serve you, a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. Now just take, for example, verse 7. And just take the phrase unleavened bread and just put sin in there. Verse 7. Sin shall not be eaten seven days. And no sin shall be seen among you, nor shall sin be seen among you in all your quarters. Now I get it. I don't want to partake of sin. I don't want sin in my house. I don't even want to look at sin. But, but in this world that we live in, it's everywhere. Dawn and I do uh, one date night a month. That's our excitement, one date night a month. So Dawn, this last date night, it was just last night, she really wanted to do something neat and do something special. Most of the time with date night, I don't know what it's like for you guys with your date night. Usually for date night for us, I get the child care set up, and I say, okay, honey, whatever you want to do, because you're the one that has to stay home, I get out. So we usually go where she wants to eat, and we usually end up at Hobby Lobby or Home Depot or something along that type of line. Um, so last night she goes, I want to do it differently. So she went and we go to BG and she literally got online and looked at all the different restaurants in Bowling Green, every single one. And she said, okay, pick your food item without telling me what restaurant we're going to. So I picked what food item sounded good. And so she said, okay, since you picked this food item, and she kind of then picked a menu. And then just for fun, she said, okay, now we're going to go to this restaurant and eat there because that's kind of where you just pick the food just to be different. We've never been to this restaurant before. So we walk in, and as we sit down, and it's got the one where the world we live in today, you know how if you ever go to a restaurant, you just can't have one TV. You know, it's got to have 20, and there's no sound. So you're just like watching, and you're wondering what they're saying. Because in the world we live in today, it's got to be quick. It's got to be fast. You've got to have entertainment. It's boring. So there's all these TVs, and I just find myself, I am, I'm like a fly with lights. I just go TV to TV. Well, as I'm looking around and Dawn's looking around, all of a sudden Dawn says, don't look over there. Now, <laughs> if you don't want me to look someplace, don't say, don't look over there. That, that does not work for anybody. It does not. If it's like me, like, start, oh, don't, nope, don't look. Everyone's like, oh, what are we looking at? Okay, then, so don't look over there. Okay, not going to look over there. Oh, don't look over there. This restaurant, the way it had decorated itself, had chosen many different pictures, many different things, and y'all let your mind kind of think, don't think, I should say. And it's like, there's leaven everywhere. There's sin everywhere. And so I see this unleavened bread, and you see what the Lord is really trying to say. Just, just imagine this in today's society. Imagine I would send you home and say, okay, guys, get all the leaven out of your house. Every part of it. Do you realize how much stuff you'd be throwing out of your house? And I mean literally leaven, like baking goods. you imagine how much stuff you'd be getting rid of? See, God is trying to make a point here with this picture. He's saying, listen, do you really want to be different? Do you really want to be a nation set apart and called for me? Do you really want more purity? Then you've got to be willing to let go of stuff. I remember when I first got saved, and I can remember distinctly having my leaven that I liked. 
I remember having my leaven that I really liked. And I actually remember talking to Kelly and saying, I was never going to get rid of X, Y, or Z. And I remember Kelly telling me, in time, you will want to. I didn't think she was true, but she was right. In time, all of a sudden, that leaven, it's not appealing anymore. And I want that moral purity. And I'm telling you right now, it is hard to look at your spiritual house, your temple, and say, Lord, get all the leaven out. Because we have allowed so much in, it creeps in. And just like leaven expands, a little bit of sin all of a sudden just takes over your life. And it's fascinating that a lot of the times the references to the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the Bible always use the word joy. Now think about that. Would you find it joyful to go home and literally go through your cupboards and get rid of all the leaven? I don't know if that would be joyful. But when you look at it from a spiritual sense, getting rid of sin, it's not fun. But once you get rid of it, oh Lord, this is what it means to walk in you. This is what it means to not be tied down by that sin, as Romans says, a slave to sin. This is what it means to be free in Christ. Oh, joy. I get it now, Lord. I get it. That's why the Feast of Unleavened Bread starts with the party and ends with the party. Because it's a joy when that sin gets out of your life and you can stop and say, Lord, I'm finally walking the way you've called me to walk. And it's worth it. It is so absolutely worth it. Can you turn with me to Psalm 139? Passover, Jesus' sacrifice, unleavened bread, moral purity. I'm just going to go ahead and share first fruits if you want, because there's a great passage in 1 Corinthians 15 about Jesus as our first fruits. First fruits shows newness of life. Think about this. Isn't this just a great pattern? You understand Jesus died on the cross for your sins, so now you have the sacrifice. And then you go into unleavened bread. Lord, I want to walk purely in you. And then now you have that newness of life. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. Now, without Jesus, that doesn't make any sense. But with Christ, that's the way it works. So when the next time you go out and you're sharing Christ with somebody, they can't have new life, they can't have first fruits until they first understand Passover. Jesus died on the cross for their sins. Just really be careful and think about how you share the Lord and really think about when you talk to people. How often are you preaching outside change when the inside's not ready for it nor wants it? Change on the outside only comes after change on the inside. i got to have Passover, Christ's sacrifice first, before I can get rid of the sin in my life. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxiety. See if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That's an honest prayer. And if you honestly, sincerely pray that to the Lord, make sure you have a piece of paper and a pen. Because he'll start listing off the things that need to change. Now, he's not listing them off to make you feel bad. He's not listing them off to kick you while you're down. He's listing them off because he says, I love you enough. I don't want that sin in your life. Now, the question comes up, do you love him enough to not want that sin in your life? See, He loves us enough to tell us that sin. He loves us enough to say, I want to get this fixed. Do we love Him enough to say, I want it changed? 
Do we want it? Please go to Psalm 51. Probably the most honest psalm in the Bible of repentance. You know the story. David's out, sees Bathsheba bathing. He wants Bathsheba, brings Bathsheba over. They have their little tryst. Bathsheba gets pregnant. What do we do now? Okay, let's get Bathsheba's husband killed. So he gets Uriah killed. He brings Bathsheba into his house. Now it makes it look all good. Everything's fine. There was so much sin covered up there. There was so much leaven being pushed off to the side. Finally, Nathan the prophet has to come into David, and he basically has to call David out in front of everybody. King of Israel just had a man killed, had an affair, covered it all up. In front of his whole court, his whole kingdom, everything is now open. You ever been laid bare like that? It's awful. David's response, Psalm 51. You want to talk about getting the leaven out? Listen to his words. Verse 1, Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. That word blot out is a fascinating word. Because when we blot something out now, it's like you can almost always still see it. Like if I would take my notes here for tonight and it's like, I'm going to blot that out. You kind of scratch it out. That word blot out means to like completely wipe it away like it never existed. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Look at the honesty there. For I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is always before you. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. He's not blaming Bathsheba. He's not blaming anybody. Lord, I did this. I sinned that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Verse 6, I'm just asking you, let the Spirit speak to your heart. Is there truth in your inward parts? Or is there sin? Is there anything hidden in your life? that you're doing a good job covering up to everybody else, but yet you know it's there. God knows it's there. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop. Remember hyssop? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Hyssop was part of the sacrifice of the lamb for Passover. Hyssop was used at the death of Jesus on the cross. Hyssop represents cleansing from sin. Purge me from hyssop. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. One of the last snowfalls that we had in the year, we were all sitting there at supper and we were talking about whiter than snow and we were talking about just how that represents that. And just whiter than snow, blankets everything. So Dawn, to make a point, took the ketchup bottle and went outside and shot ketchup over the snow. And talk about that bright red on that white background just to be a teaching point to the boys. That's what sin does. Sin is just this stain God wants us to be white, to be pure, through Him, not through you. You can't do it through Him, but what sin does. And you know what happens when we sin? Verse 8, make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Seriously, if you ever walked in unconfessed sin, it is awful. I mean, it's pit in the stomach awful. 
and we continue in it because there's this passing pleasure in it? Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Joy. Boy, joy is amazing. I had someone just tell me the other day about joy. And it was out of Nehemiah 8. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And about how joy and strength go together. And it really hit me that if you don't have joy, how can you have strength in the Lord? I see Christians walking around. And I don't know who first said it, but the first person I ever heard say it was Rene Amador. And calls them disgruntled Christians. They have no joy. That means they have no strength. And it's a defeated Christian. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. Why? Because of verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Lord, use my sin. I know this sounds so weird, people. Use my sin to help others not sin. Now, what do we do with our sin? We hide it so that way no one ever knows it. See, we all come in here on Sundays and Wednesdays. We put a smile on our face. No one knows you were just arguing with our spouse five minutes ago in the parking lot. We come in here, amen, praise the Lord, everything's good. I love you. That's a hypocrite. We're faking it all the time. When we're really sometimes coming in, and there may be somebody here tonight, there may be somebody on Sunday, there may be somebody listening to this message, they have no joy, they have no gladness, they they have nothing. But for one hour on Wednesday or Sunday, they're going to fake it. Because for me to be open and say I'm sinning, well, that would make me look bad. And I would rather look good in front of people for an hour and be fake to my Savior. We've lost that, people. We have completely lost that mindset of just, Lord, I am sin, but you love me. Verse 14, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Lord, by my me confessing my sin and proclaiming my sin, I can also tell people of your righteousness, of look at what God has done for me. I was just talking to someone this week, and the subject came up of just uh, uh, some of the families out here at church, and about, you know, they look like they have it all together, and they all have it all together now. They didn't have it all together 20, 30, 40 years ago. I've heard their testimonies. But yet, they had baggage. I mean, they they had problems because they sure look like they've just probably were the people that got saved in the crib, spoke in tongues at two, and walked on water at four, and they memorized the Bible by six. You know what I mean. No, they stumbled and fumbled through life into probably their mid-40s or 50s. Got it figured out in Jesus. You just don't realize it. Maybe if we were more honest and open about our struggles and our pasts. Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall for, show, show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice where I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. Do you realize verse 16 is heresy for a Jew? Do you get that? What do you mean you don't delight in burnt offerings? He just, Leviticus, he wants burnt offerings. You do not desire sacrifice. No, I'm pretty sure I've read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. God likes it when animals are killed. 
David is saying, that's not what you want. You don't want just some action. You just don't want some lip service. What do you want? Verse 17, the sacrifices of God or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. God says, I want your heart. So, do you have leaven in your life? Do you, have, do you need to have a little feast of unleavened bread right now? Do you have sin? See, because we don't have it all figured out. And I think we like to pretend we do. So when I read through this, Psalm 51 and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, man, it, it, I look at verse 8, I want the joy, I want the gladness. I want verse 12, the joy of salvation again. So what I decided I was going to do tonight is, you know, we're going to close up here and we're going to go to prayer because I think it's important as a pastor, as a teacher, to lead by example. And I think in James, where it says, confess your trespasses to one another, that doesn't mean you go to confession. It doesn't mean that you go to somebody and say, okay, forgive me. It means that you go sometimes to your brothers or sisters in the Lord, and you open up your heart to them, and you say, listen, I, I'm struggling with this, and I could really use prayer. James 5.16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's an individual out here that has come to me before and opened up the darkness of his heart, of the things he struggled with. And it took a lot of guts for him to confess. And I tell you, I respect that guy more than you could ever imagine because he was somebody that was willing to come and say, I'm struggling. And so I look at this and I want, I want joy. I want gladness. So... You know, what do I struggle with? Now, just be careful. Don't think this is going to be some type of, oh boy, James has got a bombshell to drop. Now, I'm an idiot. You already know that. But, you know, if I'm looking at this, what do I struggle with? I, I, I struggle with me. I struggle with I think I'm important. And it's not pride because I know, I know me. I've been teaching Wednesday nights. This is, I wouldn't do this on a Sunday because I don't care about the Sunday people, but the Wednesday people, that's, you guys are special to me. Because I've been teaching Wednesday nights for 18 years now. And for some of you that have been coming for almost those whole 18 years, you know, I started teaching Wednesday nights when I was 20 years old. And I've grown with you. You've grown with me. And I, I still remember the first people that were there. I know some of you guys were there the first Wednesday night I taught. So when I say I struggle with me, I struggle with that I'm important. And not that I'm important in the sense of pridefully, but I struggle with this. This is, this is my sin that I'm going to confess. I carry this burden that if you guys try to get a hold of me and I don't get your phone call, I don't get your email, I don't get your text, I let you guys down. And so... I sin in this way that I let that little phone of mine dictate every aspect of my life. And I put my kids off to the side. I'll put my wife off to the side. I'll put everything I do off to the side. Because if I don't get that call, phone call, text, then you guys are going to realize I let you down. And Satan just runs with it. Since you didn't get that phone call, text, or whatever, guess what? They just went backwards in their walk with Christ. Because, James, you're so important. If you could have taken that, you could have helped them spiritually.
You could have fixed their problem. You could have healed their marriage. Because that's how important you are. We're hoping to take some time off. Uh, you know, we're finishing up with school tomorrow. And so generally, we take the, some time off the next week just to celebrate school being done. It gets pretty busy out here in the summer at church. And so um, June's going to be crazy. July's going to be crazy. Good crazy, but it's crazy. So what happens is I, I can't take time off mentally because I'm so important that if I'm not around for the body of Christ, things are going to go downhill. That's how important I am. That's pride. That's sin. So then what happens is it becomes this, this, this awful struggle then of if somebody's not at church, I'll spend my whole evening or Sunday saying, why weren't they there? I don't focus on who's here. I focus on who wasn't here. Because obviously they weren't here because I didn't love them enough and I didn't care enough and I didn't do enough because I'm important. And so when their marriage can't get fixed, it's because I didn't do enough. When they don't want to go deeper in the Lord, it's because I didn't love them enough and because I'm important. And what the Lord has been really teaching me, and I've sought some very wise counsel from some people, and I remember somebody looked at me, or I shouldn't say looked at me, they told me, Jamie, you're not that important. And I know that. But isn't this the problem with sin? You know it? I mean, I know it. So I carry that burden. I carry that burden of sin. I carry that burden of if the numbers aren't full on a Sunday or Wednesday, I must have done something wrong as a pastor. Because obviously if I was doing a better job, more people would be here. I carry that burden that if somebody says, hey, pastor, you know, I feel that we should go do this as a ministry or go help out with this or do something like that. Well, why, why aren't we good enough? What's going on? It's sin. It's pride. Because I know I'm not. My wife tells me I'm not. I know I'm not. I know it. But it's the sin that pops up there because here's the truth of it. The same Holy Spirit that speaks in me is the same Holy Spirit that can speak through any of you. I, I know what I teach. And I know there's a whole lot better people to teach. It's not about us. And so I would appreciate prayer that that burden could be lifted and that I could have the joy again and the gladness again of just coming together to love the Lord together and not carry the burden of this, this church. And what I mean by that is this. It's not about Harvest Fellowship. And don't, don't take this the wrong way, because I know sometimes it comes across the wrong way. I don't care about Harvest Fellowship. I care about the people that are here. This church, we're not here to promote this church. We're not here to say, oh, it's all about heart. No, it's not. It's all about Jesus Christ. And if it's all about Jesus Christ, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many people come, how many people don't come. It doesn't matter because it's all about Jesus. But in my flesh, in my pride, in my feeling of importance. And God has really been working with me saying, James, is it all about me? If it's all about me, then let it be all about me. Let everything else go. If one person shows up on Wednesday, love them. If a hundred people show up, love them. If the church is full, love them. If the church is empty, love them. It doesn't matter about any of that. So please pray for me in that way. Because I don't want to carry that burden anymore. Because I don't want it, want it to be about me. Can you imagine if it was about us? Can you imagine if you had that power to heal someone's marriage or make someone go deeper? That's a burden I don't want. I just want to point people towards Christ. So with that being said, pray for me. The Lord has really laid some things on my heart. Dawn and I have been praying about it. And I went over and 
talked to Richard and Betsy today about some stuff, just about some changes that we can make that I really think gets us back to this. Really. I, and when I say that, I mean, look at how they did it in Acts and Titus and Timothy. Because the way we do it nowadays doesn't line up with this. You ever notice that? Churches nowadays are trying to promote themselves, not Jesus. Pastors nowadays are trying to promote themselves and not Jesus. It's all about Christ. And not a single ounce of effort should ever be put into promoting a church or a pastor. It's in promoting the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize I don't care about anything else except Christ. And if Christ brings people, I'll love them. And I would really just appreciate prayer because the Lord is really molding me and working with me on this. And I want the joy. I want the gladness. I want the joy of my salvation because I want to be able just to say, Lord, it's all about you, not about me. So that's my confession. So now we're going to start with Marcus. Go ahead, Marcus. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I knew Marcus could handle it. So I, I, wouldn't, call, I wouldn't call on somebody else. I knew Marcus could handle that. But... So, any final questions, comments about anything here before we close up? Christ Passover, then unleavened, then first fruits. If you want the sin out of your life, you've got to understand the Passover first. And if you want the joy and the gladness, get the leaven out through Jesus. That's when the joy and gladness happens. And that's all that matters. Hey, let's pray. And then we'll have a quick time of prayer up here afterwards. Lord.